And if you think about companies like Google or Facebook, their turnover rate is, is about like 11 months, 12 months. Mm -hmm. So that means oh. that by month three or four, people are already looking for other jobs. When you think about investment in terms of ca uh, human capital investment, when you hire somebody, somewhere between 20 to 30% of that person's annual salary is going to go into the hiring process. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today, we have a special guest and a friend of mine. His name is Jocobo Lumbreras, who is one of the founding team members of Yoi. Jocobo, how's it going? It's going great. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here, man. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do over there at Yoi. Sure. So I'm born and raised in Spain. I, I lived part of my life in the UK, in England, where I, went to, where I went to school. I did engineering and design over there. And I moved to the US a couple of years ago. It was quite of a, an unusual move. I was working for a clean tech education company uh, based in London. At the time, I decided to leave that company to, to start my own business. And I moved to Philadelphia in the East Coast. Uh, to do that. And, you know, I spent a bunch of time building that business. And about a year into it, you know, it, it didn't quite work out the way we expected it. One of my goals was to, to be able to stay in the US. And so at the time, a friend of mine had met a, a guy called Keith Ferrazzi, who you might know uh, as the writer of a book called Never Eat Alone. And one of the people that kind of coined the, the word networking. Great book. Exactly. Yeah. It's a very good book. And so at the time, he sent an email to both of us, and he knew that Keith was trying to build a, a software business uh, in the enterprise space around uh, personal development and training. And so what I was trying to do for consumers, it was somewhat similar. And we got on the phone. Keith and I got on the phone for a couple of minutes. Uh, the time in which that happened, I was actually packing my bags and, and moving to uh, back to Spain. Uh, things hadn't worked out well in Philadelphia, and so... Uh, it was a Wednesday and I was sitting on my suitcase and I was ordering the Uber and, and then my phone rang and uh, it was Keith. And after we talked on the phone for a couple of minutes, he decided to, to get me a flight to come to L.A. and come and visit them at Yoy and see, see if there was a way that we could work together. How did that conversation go? Because it was only a couple of minutes and this guy stops you from leaving, going home to Spain literally in, in a few minutes. What happened there? So it was, it was interesting. You know, I tried to remember exactly what I said in those two minutes that really got him to, to, uh, to book me that flight to come to LA. Um, I don't quite remember. I know that I, a few minutes before I was on the phone with him, I was looking into, into Keith and sort of, you know, what the company did. And I was trying to find ways to, in which I could add value to him. And from my perspective, from the work that I had done, what could I do that, that he could find valuable and that could help him achieve his mission? And so I think I just focused on that. Um, I tried to understand what his goals were. 
and if I could fit into that and, and provide value to what he was doing. Yeah. So I, I want to back up a second because I can probably hear people saying in the audience, you know, and I get this question, I was just telling you earlier, I get this question a lot. You know, how do you go about finding mentors? How did you even run into Keith in, in the first place? Because, well, guess what? You know, just for the audience to know, we're actually sitting in Keith's house right now. This is the first live interview I've ever done for, for Growth Everywhere. And we're, we're sitting in his house. But like, how do you even meet people like that in the first place? Um, you know, I, I call those people unicorns usually. And, and there's, there's a set of characteristics that define them. And they're, they're intellectually, uh, they're very high IQ. Um, emotionally, no, they have very high EQ. They are individuals of high agency. They've probably done very well in business. And the good thing about it is that they all tend to hang out together. And so when you meet one, it's easy for you if you're able to build a strong relationship to meet the others through that person. So in the first place, I think, you know, the way that we think about mentorship today, uh, it's a little bit uh, upside down. You know, you think, well, how can I find a good mentor that will help me do this? Now, if you think about that statement and you flip that and you say, okay, well, there are people that I admire. There are people that I like because of what they do and the value they bring to the world. How can I find out things and aspects of their lives in which the things that I do can add value to them. And not because, you know, you're a good Samaritan and you're going to live your life um, only for other people, but because at the same time that you add value to them, you're always, or you try to do things that you're passionate about and that you care about. So when you connect that, that journey, doing things that you care about together with, you know, improving somebody else's life, they'll be really grateful, usually. What were like the steps for you to eventually run into Keith Ferrazzi? I mean, how does that phone call even happen? Just, I, I know, I, I get it, right? You, you have to add value to people first before they'll even consider you. So, but how did you even get him on the phone with you? Like, how did that happen? Were you friends with him before that? What happened there? No, you know, it was it was good friendships uh, that got me to that. I um, It was a difficult time because, you know, nobody likes to to try to start a business and, and for it not to work out. So it was, uh, it was mentally a difficult time. And I was trying to, uh, you know, find a way to be in the U.S. Because, um, as you probably know, it's, it's, you know, this is a phenomenal place. It really is a catalyst for entrepreneurship. And so in my mind, I was thinking, well, if I'm really starting a business, um, this is the right place to do it. So I have to find a way to stick around. And as you know, you know, the immigration system in this country is slightly outdated. And I knew it was very difficult. So I knew the only way that I could find an option to, to be here and to continue to do that, to build businesses, um, was through relationships. And so, you know, I cultivated enough good relationships with people that have done well. And so one of them just happened to know Keith well. And, and he was willing to, to make that introduction. And to help me get get uh, through to him. Got it. And it's the same way with with my mentor. Uh, you know, I, I did a lot of reaching out in the beginning because I just didn't know what he was talking about by reading his blog. Uh, but eventually, it came down to you know what can I do for him? Right? These people, they're they're time strapped all the time. You know, they don't have time to think about somebody new. They already have enough friends as it is. You know, what can you possibly do for them? So it's it's more about what can you do for them first. And I'll I'll tell you, like, you know, there's people in the audience that sometimes they'll just reach out directly, saying, you know. Oh, here's this, like, here's what I can do to, to help you. And, uh, you know, one of the best hires I've ever had came directly from this podcast. So it takes a certain kind of person to listen to this podcast, but then to even reach out and offer to help, like that shows that you're, you know, another kind of person. Um, so anyway, I, I think we can jump back to, you know, a lot of the, the other, the, a lot of the Keith stuff in, in a bit, <laughs> but 
tell me about Yoy. You know, how are things going overall right now? Um, you know, you've you went from almost flying back to Philadelphia to starting this thing up. You know, what is Yoy in the first place? How does it help people? Well, the company does that. It is an enterprise software company uh, that focuses on surveying HR, human resources. And, and what it does is it takes individuals on day one as they get to, to a new company. And it creates experiences for them to be able to be productive and engage throughout their, their entire first year. Um, one of the things that we've observed uh, in the workforce is that the first few months of a person at a company are, is the most critical time for them because their experience in those first few months will determine whether that person is likely to stay in the long term or whether they're likely to look for other jobs. So what we decided is to build a, a software that really focuses on creating that kind of experience and understanding what the motivators are for people to do what they do and also uh, to provide them with the content and the tools and the knowledge they need to be able to succeed at their job. Cool. So it's to help them get up to speed and also retain them for much longer, right? Exactly. I know there's a study, I think it was done by greenhouse.io about how if you do good onboarding, you do good training, all that kind of stuff, you know, you can, for like a sales rep, for example, because every, you know, other roles are hard to measure, but for a sales rep, you can add additional, you know, 1.5 million ARR annual recurring revenue because you did all that stuff, right? So this is, an, this is basically going to make, uh, you know, companies a lot more efficient and effective. Absolutely. If you think about it, you know, we have a great example here in California with high growth technology businesses where uh, turnover is very high. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think about companies like Google or Facebook, their, uh, their attrition or their turnover rate is, is about like 11 months, 12 months. Mm-hmm. So that means wow. that by month three or four, people are already looking for other jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when you think about investment in terms of ca- uh, human capital investment, when you hire somebody, somewhere between 20 to 30% of that person's annual salary is going to go into the hiring process. So the first year that you hire somebody, if that person costs you $80,000 or $100,000, it's not going to cost you $100,000. It's going to cost you $130,000. So what you want to do is you want to try to keep them for as long as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that is becoming in, in the new workforce and with millennials uh, becoming the highest, uh, sort of more than uh, 50% of the, of the workforce today in the U.S., um, it becomes really valuable when you can find ways to engage and retain those people for longer. Awesome. Walk me through like what's going on with the business right now. You guys just raised a round, right? Exactly. How did that so, process go? Yeah. Well, you know, it's never easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're in the process of, uh, yeah, of, of closing our series A. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's always a challenging process. Fundraising. It's, it's kind of the necessary evil for companies uh, of our nature, you know, uh, high growth software businesses. Um, but it's, it's a process in which you learn a lot. You learn a lot about who you are as a company. You learn a lot about what the market values and you learn a lot about how to communicate that, which is equally important, you know, and, and for us, uh, we'd raised a considerable of round of money before that. And, and this, this next round is really going to be the one that it's going to allow us to, to, uh, expand the team aggressively, um, and be able to expand our sales, our engineering, et cetera. That would allow us to to build product at a much faster rate. This, so, I mean, this is something I just want to take out my wallet and buy. So how do you guys plan to charge for this thing? You know, it's 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 a SaaS model. Um, it's a, it's a software as a service. So we charge uh, an implementation fee for the software, um, and and then we charge on a monthly basis. Do you uh, know 
what those numbers are roughly? Um, it depends, really. Uh, it depends. Okay, starting on the, out. So if you know, if we work, we work with big companies. Mm-hmm. So some of our companies okay, have okay. more than ten thousand, thirty thousand, fifty thousand people. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are companies. You know, some of our clients, like for example, NCR, they're in one hundred and seventy-two countries. So when you when you first approach one of those companies, it doesn't really happen company wide straight away, right? You approach a business unit where you find a good use case, you prove yourself within that business unit or that department, and then you ex- you expand it within the company. Um, and and contracts you know range from fifty to hundred thousand uh, dollars plus a recurring fee based on uh, subscription. So based so on number of users. To- 100 to 200 250,000 oh beautiful yeah it, uh, <laughs> you know it's uh, it's in that sense um, the the challenge with enterprise sales at that level is that the sales cycles are very long so although the the number might seem very appealing um, it takes a while to get to that you know there are a lot of gatekeepers and there are a lot of different stakeholders that you need to convince and you not only have to sell from the outside and to, to, to the company but you also have to sell within the company um, in order for for you to to expand the fo- the footprint okay. of, of the product, great. So you guys are just you guys are closing the round right now. Have you guys closed any any big contracts yet? We have, yeah. Um, How did so, you guys close the bit the first big one? How did that how did that go? Um, find it? You know, interestingly enough, relationships. When you have somebody like Keith, who his you know most of his career has been it's been based on how do you build, how do you maintain, and how do you nurture true relationships it's it's interesting our sales have been very different to what a normal startup would do you know fortunately a lot of the times we can just walk into the stakeholders in those companies and be able to talk to them directly you know talk to chros of, of big public companies that uh startups wouldn't even dream of getting to and so for us it's come mostly through relationships uh ncr ebay at the time um, and so, yeah, I couldn't couldn't put more emphasis on the importance of this. Yeah, I mean, you know, the relationships also. I mean, it also it's also because Keith has you know that brand, right? And I think we can talk about that in, in a little bit. But diving into relationships a little more, I think the the thing is, uh, you know, Hokovo actually you know had this this gathering, you know, a couple I think it was a couple months ago that I went to. Um, a mutual friend invited me to, and it was great. You know, there's a lot of great people there. And it's, you know, it's Hokobo, it's you that put that together, right? It's you yourself, you're starting to build this, build this, uh, you can call it a movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a lot of people are doing that. So I, I think doing doing stuff special there, whether it's, you know, blogging or whether it's, you know, throwing dinners, like, uh, you know, what you did is, is incredible. So what made you want to do that in the first place? Um, I think we go back to the concept that we were discussing before, which is that of uh, adding value. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, for me, and I'm a person that's fairly uncomfortable in, in big public settings. You and I have talked about this before. And so I had to find a way in which I could build the, the, the meaningful and authentic relationships I wanted to build in a place where I would be comfortable enough to, to be able to share who I am. Because, you know, as you know, vulnerability leads to, uh, to building meaningful relationships is, the, is the sort of the fastest route to be able to do that. So if you can create an environment where people can come in and they find themselves among their peers... They find themselves in a place that is safe to share and, and where they can be vulnerable and they can be authentic, then you're accelerating intimacy. And when you accelerate intimacy, that leads to relationship forming much faster than if you attend a conference or an event. And a lot of that authenticity, it's kind of lost through social media. 
So again, you create an environment where those people can come in and get together and have food and, and discuss topics that they care about and even share things that are challenges for them openly and without the fear of being judged, then, you know, incredible relationships stem out of that. It's great because when you do things like that, these gatherings, it's like you mentioned, it's more intimate. There's a lot more depth versus the width, right? When you go to conferences, you're trying to meet as many people as possible and it just becomes like, what just happened there? But when you do something like this, it's 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 unique. And I'm just wondering for people that are, obviously there's a lot of benefit from, from doing this because like the people that Hokobo had there, everybody's great, right? You know, one guy I met, he, he's actually got, you know, one of the top five podcasts, you know, in, I think in all of iTunes, right? Um, you just don't expect that to happen. But beyond that, it's not even about what you do. It's about kind of just, you know, who you are as a person and how much, how much you can help each other. You know, when you meet these people, it's, it's more, it's not so much, oh, what you can do for me. It's more of like, how can I help? Right. And so how do you, how do you find the right people to, to put together? Because sometimes there's really transactional people. Absolutely. And, and look, you're going to find, you're going to find all kinds of people when you bring them together. So for me, I, I literally pick up the phone. I pick up the phone or I email the people that I, I want to spend time with, the people that I want to meet, that I admire. And, and then it's a gamble. You know, uh, you, what you try to do is you try to do what works for you. And, and for me is, well, I, I know a set of individuals that I admire deeply. So, you know, there's a, there's a concept in psychology, which is if when, you, when there's somebody that you admire, you know, anybody that's, that's friends with that person or that's somewhat related to that person, there's going to be an credibility that comes automatically with that. And so I usually invite some of the people that come to the dinner to bring somebody themselves. And so, you know, that's a, it's a good methodology to be able to expand the network at the same time validating that the person that, that comes, it's also somebody that is willing to be authentic, that is willing to be vulnerable, that is willing to open up and discuss challenges without you know, without judging other people. And then, you know, sometimes you get people that are very excited and sometimes you get people that don't want to buy into it, that are afraid. Or they don't want to put themselves out there mm-hmm. and come to a place where they don't know the people, no, they don't know the location, they've never been before. Um, but most of the times, frankly, it's worked out really, really well. Um, and and being able to open up, open people up that way, it's it's been incredible for for building new friendships in this in this country. So... You know, I always like getting into the, the tactics on like how things work, right? Mm-hmm. So when you throw these these dinners, you know, what is the setup? Are you paying for it? Are you cooking all the dinner? How many people are you capping it out at? You know, all that kind of stuff. You know, what, what are the logistics exactly? Because yeah. you know, people are looking for steps. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, sure. So um, I have a set of, of rules. They're not always, they're not set in the sense that, you know, sometimes I go above a certain number of people. Sometimes it's not too few, but I usually tend to keep it uh, around 15 people, you know, uh, 15, always less than 20. I think it's, it's, it, it gets more difficult to build that kind of intimacy when you have a group of uh, more than 15 people. Because mm-hmm. then what happens is totally agree. it breaks up. And so with a group of 15, you can really manage, uh, manage the room and manage sort of the vibe of the dinner uh, in a way that is constructive. It's around 15 people. I pay for everything. Uh, you know, when I invite people to my house, I don't believe in them having to pay for it. Mm. Um, it's, it's very Spanish, you know, it's sort of we are big hosts and we like to bring people together. And sometimes, you know, uh, we'll, we'll get food delivered from somewhere, uh, catered, or we'll have somebody come and cook for us. Um but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll cover that. And then, so, you know, b- beyond the number of people, I think there are a couple of things that we do in every dinner that it really helps, like I said, build that kind of vulnerability and authenticity. 
And as we do this thing that I learned from from Keith and his uh, consulting practice, it's called a personal and professional check-in. And it's essentially the you provide kind of the ability for everybody to uh, speak to the group about the things that they care about or they're challenged with professionally and personally. And it's almost like it's a minute. It's about a minute to two minutes. It's very quick. But, you know, uh, I try to start and set the tone um, and lead with, with vulnerability. So when people see that, uh, when they see their host be able to open up with a few people that he's never met before, mm-hmm. it suddenly becomes easier for them. So, you know, we do a round of that before the dinner. Um, and as we, as we sit down and, and, and start the dinner, we, uh, I usually put these things under, these little cards under the plates called table topics. Um, and what those are are a set of uh, very provocative uh, kind of questions. Some of them, you know, about love, life, family, things that you care about. Um, and so what I do is there would be somebody, I say, okay, well, why don't you lead? Start with the first question. And that person doesn't have to respond to the question. That person has to appoint somebody else to respond to that question. Mm-hmm. So what you allow for that, or you allow for when you do that is you let them be able to connect one-on-one with each other. Smart. And so, you know, when you start doing that, you're setting the tone of the dinner uh, and you're bringing it to a place where, again, people can be vulnerable. People can be themselves. Love it. Okay. So, you know, obviously there's a, there's a couple ways to do this. You can search online. I think there's a site called uh, masterminddinners.com. I think there's a book was, that was written about it. A lot of different ways to skin a cat. You know, there's there's other friends that, you know, might have, you know, a couple friends get together at a restaurant and everyone just forks over the, the bill on their end. Um, however you however you decide to do it, I think the main thing is getting people together because we're social creatures, right? Uh, everybody's looking at Instagram nowadays. We're just talking about that. You know, everybody's on YouTube all the time, but being able to connect with people, just like you're able to connect with people at a conference is a lot more powerful and people like to do business with people at the end of the day and it all starts with relationships, right? Absolutely. Business is human. Right. Let's talk about habits for a second. You know, we're, we're sitting in this meditation room right now. Um, you know, what kind of habits have you cultivated on your own? And also, you know, what kind of important lessons has Keith taught you? So I can, I'll go ahead and re-ask that later. But. Okay. So um, in terms of habits, I think one of the things, look, one of the things that I admire the most about him um, and, you know, haven't had a chance to, to live with him is it's how, um, how conscious he is and how he spends his time. I think he, you know, I, I deeply admire that for so many years now, he's been able to, really wake up early in the morning, you know, wake up around five, five thirty in the morning and just keep going throughout the day, you know, and, and have a day in which it's fully planned and in and which you don't allow yourself to, to fall back. You don't allow yourself to procrastinate. Right. And so I think the, the trick there is, is finding the methodology that works for you. Right. So for me, like I, you know, sort of procrastination and the monkey mind is something that I fight with. Um, I'm a person that is emotionally invested to, to the nth degree in everything that I do. So positive or negative feedback, it really affects me. And when it comes to when it comes to negative feedback, I think one of the habits that I've learned to cultivate is it's rationalizing. So, you know, being with Keith, I've had the privilege of being part of many conversations and being in, in rooms where some of the most successful entrepreneurs and CEOs in this country tend to, you know, to gather up and, and, and talk among themselves. And so it's really interesting because they, the way in, they, in which they think is they understand emotion 
and they process it and they try to bring uh, rationale into it. So it's not that they don't feel as much as the rest of us do, right. but they just choose a different path to be able to react to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been a huge that's been a huge practice that I've learned from them, uh, from Keith, and also from the people that you know he spends time with. So that's been it's been critical. And and you know there's a, there's a book that calls that executive presence. Executive presence. Um, and so you know that's sort of one that's one practice. I think the the other practice is uh, intrinsic motivation. I think there's there's a commonality among some of the most successful entrepreneurs, and is that they don't seek their ecosystem and their environment to draw that motivation. Right, the motivation comes from within. It comes from an alignment between what you believe in and what you choose to do with it. And so when there's an alignment between those two things. Uh, they can tap into that intrinsic motivation. They can wake up every day at five in the morning and they can keep going, you know, that that two or three hours more mm-hmm. than any of us can do because because they believe in what they do and because it's rooted in their values. Yeah, that's huge. You know, at, at, at Summit, uh, I asked Gary Vaynerchuk, I was like, you know, how do you, because he works 18, 19, 20 hours a day, whatever it is exactly. Um, and I was just like, where do you, where do you draw your energy from? And I guess this kind of ties into the intrinsic motivation where he says it's not like some morning routine or whatever. It's just he has a lot of gratitude and that's what pushes him forward every single day. Um, and to, to a lot of people, I think it's like, you know, it seems very rah-rah, um, but, you know, the, it's, it's the rah-rah stuff that helps, right? We're sitting in a meditation room, for example, and this stuff actually helps. So what, what other habits have you cultivated that have made a major impact on your life? Um, well, like I was saying, I think managing emotions is a very, very important part. The second one is motion starts with motion. I mean, when you, you know, a lot of us that like to think deeply about the things that we do, some of the times we get stuck in that, you know, and we don't, we don't connect the, the thought to the action. And so one of the things that I, I tend to do all the time is, and it makes, it truly makes me uncomfortable. It's to take action without necessarily having uh, charted a path forward. You know, just take action so you can get moving and then you can devise the path forward from there. They say, you know, with entrepreneurship, it's almost like jumping off a cliff or jumping off a plane uh, and trying to put together the parachute on the way down. And it's very much like that. You know, a lot of the times when you when you try to strategize too much before you get started, just your own mind, it's the one holding you back. And so finding a way in which you can take the first step and then think about the second and third once you're moving, it's been very helpful. Remember that... Um, you know, most of the times, the things holding us back, it, it, they're really, it's our own thoughts, our own, our own mindset, not so much the external factors. Ready, aim, fire, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about one big struggle you faced while building Yoy. You know, um, I mean, there are a lot of, I think we have a lot of books out there that, that talk to us about the different methodologies and the different sort of tips and tricks on how to run, how to start a company. So it wouldn't be so much of that. For me, it's it's it would be a lot about uh, mindset and overcoming uh, challenges. So you know, in the last six months, I found myself with a fairly serious uh, sickness. Um, you know, at, at my age, I was thinking, well, you know, how am I going to get sick? I'm like, no way, I'm way too young. Right? We're indestructible. We're moving yeah. forward. You yeah. wake up every day and you go on about your day. And you never really think about how can anything go wrong that, that really can change everything in your life? And so I found myself in that place. Um, and I found myself, you know, going from doctor to doctor and, and kind of having something in my life that really conditioned every other decision that I was making. Um, and 
one of the things that you realize is that you start questioning a lot more how you invest your time um, and how do you allocate resources every day. And so, again, when we're talking about challenges, a lot of the times it's not so much about the things that happen to you, it's how things happen for you. So how can your mindset be pivotal in, in the outcomes that you have in your life? So for me, when that happened, you know, I, I, I try to understand, okay, well, this is the sickness. Who is the best doctor? What do I need to do? What is the action plan? How can I solve this problem? Um, and so, you know, overcoming something that is so intrinsic to you, uh, it gives you a little power to move forward. Love that. What's like the grand plan with, with UI? What would be, you know, the, the best outcome for you? So for us, you know, we're, we're in a business of improving human performance in the workplace. There is, a, you know, as we, it's interesting, as we move into an era of automation uh, and a time in which we're starting to see self-driving cars and we're starting to see that a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. And the interesting part is like, how do you somehow uh, are able to find yourself in a place? You understand what your skill set is. You understand how to apply that skill set. You understand how do you develop and grow within an enterprise, right? And like at the end of the day, an enterprise is just another community. It's just a place where you go and you provide a degree of value mm-hmm. and you get something in return. And so for us, the, the, the really the, the goal here is to be able to optimize that aspect, to optimize the human aspect of the enterprise. So if you have somebody that comes in, how can you help them understand what, what they should be doing? what they're good at, what they're not so good at, and how do you help them optimize their performance in a way that works for them and that also works for the the company they're part of. Um, and so if we get to a place where we're able to, to measure really human performance inside of work, we'll be able to allow them to make better decisions as to what to Huge. do. Huge, yeah. There's, there's literally, I mean, you know, the only tool we use right now is a tool called 15.5, and it's basically you you get some feedback from you know the the, the team member and, and that's it. But to be able to have something so scientific, right? That's that has a lot more utility, especially like a large enterprise that is spending so much money every single year. You know, hiring the best people. You know, how do you how do you optimize that? Um, so I think that's going to be huge. Um, congratulations on that. Um, so, what's one piece of advice you'd give to your let's just say twenty two year old self? Stop eating bread. <laughs> That's a good uh, one. I think, you know, coming from where I come from, um, every Spanish person would tell you we eat bread with every single meal. And when we talked about energy and about optimizing performance, you know, bread is a, it's a really bad way to get energy. Um, you get, it's so good. It's so great. <laughs> but you get full very quickly. You burn out the energy very quickly and you get kind of tired and sleepy after you eat a lot of bread. And so, you know, changing, changing uh, your eating habits, I think it's critical. And it's not something that we usually think about uh, as much. Um, I think something else that I would say is um, pay, pay a lot of attention to your scene. So, you know, for me, I was brought up in Spain. I moved to the UK, to England, and I ended up in the US. And I wish I'd known a little earlier, what would be the optimal scene? What would be the optimal ecosystem? to do the things that I wanted to do. Mm, So, um, you know, in my case, I wish I'd moved here earlier. I wish I'd come to California a little earlier um, because it really is a place that if you want to build businesses, if you want to be in technology, if you want to be in like high growth uh, leading companies, uh, it's a phenomenal place to be. 
um, and there's a, st- a degree of inertia uh, and momentum that exists here that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. Totally agree with that. I think, you know, one, one other thing I wanted to touch upon really quick, you know, you mentioned the concept of journaling and that's something I start. I, I think I started adding it maybe two and a half years ago or so. And my concept of journaling is basically, you know, Tim Ferriss's recommendation, the five minute journal. So what is journaling done for you? And, you know, why did you start doing it in the first place? You know, I was, um, I was, I was 16 when I started. Um, and at the time, my grandfather had passed away from Alzheimer's uh, a little before that. And one of the, you know, as I saw the development of the entire disease, one of the things that struck me the most was the fact that, you know, all the memories, all the things that, all the experiences had he had throughout his life, they were fading away. They were somehow fading away. And I thought, well, you know, if one day I find myself uh, confined into a hospital bed, you know, at an older age, how cool would it be if I could essentially read about my entire life? Um, even if I couldn't remember it, it would be just like a story. Mm. So for me, it was the ultimate form of storytelling for myself, right? So if, I, if I'm able to log my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, whether it's on a piece of paper or on a camera, uh, I think it would make up for uh, a very cool story if one day I get the chance to, to watch it. Cool. So it'd also be a good book too. Um, so when you, when you journal, what goes into it? You know, what, and it could be high level. You don't need to go too, too much in detail. Um, it's a very personal thing, right? So it's not something that I would share mm-hmm. with the world. Um, it goes, you know, a little bit of everything. I think one of the things that uh, the humans do is we tend to filter a lot of what we say. So there's a, you know, there's a difference. There's a delta between the emotion that we feel and, and how we portray our reaction to the world. And rightfully so, right? You want to be constructive. You want to be able to add value. You want to be able to have uh, healthy interactions with the people around you. So naturally you filter and you kind of uh, curate and, and frame the things that you say. But with the journal, there's none of that. You know, all the filters get removed and it's just, you know, my raw self, all my feelings, all my emotions, all the things that I think about, whether they're negative or positive, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the goal is to get the most accurate representation of who I am. And the interesting thing about that is that just very much like learning, you know, the best form of learning is usually teaching somebody else. Mm -hmm. When you speak to a journal and when you write things down suddenly things become a little more clear in your head. And so that's probably the biggest, you know, immediate benefit is you're adding more clarity to your, your everyday life. Absolutely. Right? And, you know, when I, when I look at the, the five minute journal, it's, it's much simpler, right? It's three things you're grateful for, three things you're going to do today, and one affirmation. That starts in the morning. And then at nighttime, it's three amazing things that happened today, right? And then one thing you can improve on. So it's practical, right? You start the day strong, you end the day strong, and there's also one thing you can fix. So I think no matter how you decide to do it, you know, you can have a blank slate um, and just write whatever. I, I think some people would just, you know, just write whatever is on their mind. That's good because it adds more clarity. Or if you want to use it uh, for another way, you can just do the five-minute journal. And by the way, I'm not affiliated, um, but you can do the five-minute journal and just, you know, get that get that uh, boost of energy in the morning and end the night on a, on a good note, no matter how bad your day was. So I, I think there's, there's use to it. Uh, and, you know, people are probably thinking, you know, this is rah-rah, meditation is rah-rah, uh, you know, journals rah-rah, but this stuff actually helps. I think it's the, the rah-rah stuff that actually pushes you forward, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's grounded in psychology. Um, 
what's one new tool that you've added? Could be a program, whatever it is exactly that's really helped you in the last year. It's a very good question. Um, in the past year, I think there is um there is well there's a couple of things. Um, I recently became acquainted with Alexa, mm. <laughs> Amazon's Echo device, uh, and I think it's been wonderful. It's uh, uh, easy to do things that we would be lazy to do otherwise. So, you know, it's easy for me now if I get home to just ask Alexa to play a meditation playlist or play some sort of ambient music that really helps you concentrate. You know, that you wouldn't bother perhaps to go on Spotify or a different service to look for that, right? But there's a tangible benefit on so you literally will just say play ambient music or play meditation music. Exactly. And that works. And that works. You know, it's funny. I have Alexa at home and all I use it for in the morning, I only talk to it once per day. How's the <laughs> weather? And also what time is it? Exactly. Yeah, that's all I use it for. But now that you give me this, that, that has a lot more practicality to it. So any any other commands people should know? Um, I mean, there are so many, uh, you know, funny and interesting ones. Um, for me, uh, I don't I don't spend as much time reading the news as I used to. So uh, what I do is I've programmed uh, technology news into Alexa. I've programmed Hacker News, I've programmed uh, TechCrunch. Okay. So when I, I get up in the morning and I ask for my news brief, as I get dressed, shower, brush my teeth, get ready for the day, I'm hearing what the latest uh, news are in, in the field. And it's a great way to consume that because it's, it's, it's narrative, right? It's like telling you a story about what's happening in the world while you do other things. So is that like, how long is a snippet of news? Is it typically for a minute? It's four or five minutes. Four or five minutes. Um, and for the whole you, day. For the whole day. And you can make it as long as you want. You can add different sources. Uh, you can, you know, only listen to a single uh, sort of source of news. So you can really tailor it. And I think it's it's incredibly practical. And it was, again, you know, it was going back to the topic of relationships. Uh, I was able to to help a friend sort of become a writer uh, and so for, for a specific publisher that he was looking to to become a writer for. And, you know, it was a gift. Um, and it wasn't intentional. You know, I, I was incredibly surprised and I was very grateful mm-hmm. for it. And it's something, you know, it's a little thing that it's really it's really improved my everyday life. Got it. OK, awesome. Uh, what's one must read book you'd recommend to everyone not called Never Eat Alone? Yeah, <laughs> besides that, <laughs> I definitely recommend that one. But besides that, um, I'm reading an interesting book right now. A lot of the things that a lot of things that I'm reading right now are are very practical. They're not so much storytelling because uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to learn more. And so I think there's this great book. I think he's Noah Wasserman, and he's a USC professor. And he wrote a book called The Founder's Dilemmas. And it's a very interesting book. It's a it's a tough read. It's very grounded in science. There are a lot of studies. Uh, there's a lot of data, but it's almost like it's a great set of guidelines as to if you're starting a company, if you're you know starting a startup, what are the the main topics that founders sort of deal with every day, and what are the main challenges that they, they deal with every day, and practical approaches with actionable insights as to how to how to tackle those. So you know, I love reading that book. I love putting post-it notes and places that I can go back and check, um, and it's a very comprehensive guide on how to how to run a better business. Okay, we'll drop that in the show notes. We'll also drop Never Eat Alone by Kate Ferrazzi in the show notes as well. And Hokobo, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? Um, you know, probably the best way is Twitter. Uh, Hokobo Plu, P-L-U. Um, Twitter, 
or uh, uh, email perhaps uh, Jacobo at yoicorp.com, Y-O-I-C-O-R-P.com. Um, and, you know, it's, Twitter is a very interesting tool that I've, I've recently started engaging with more. Mm. Um, not so much as a way to communicate, but as a way to uh, actually have access to really interesting information. Mm. So, you know, I, I'd be happy to engage in discussions through that anytime. Awesome. So are you saying you use it more to look for the right news or look for the right discussions? What are you doing there exactly? Before you um, it's, you know, I like to, uh, I like to read that every morning. I like to read my, my Twitter feed every morning. I think, uh, it's the, the beauty, the beauty about it is that again, it's bite-sized information. So you can be very targeted in the things that you want to consume. And so you can be efficient around it. Um, and I like, you know, when you, when I, when I look at Twitter, uh, I almost learn just as much from the, the articles as I learn from the discussions. So uh, being able to, to see you know, the two aspects of it and, and be able to be very targeted as to who I want to follow and the kind of people that I want to learn from, uh, it's very interesting to me. Yeah, no, I, I love Twitter for exactly that reason. You know, it's not super intuitive, but once you have it going, it's, it's really efficient. The thing with the news is it's, there's a lot of clickbait out there, what's going on. But the thing is, like, if you follow, for example, you follow founders, you see, you see there's a trend. People are talking about ideas all the time. People are talking about, you know, how you can do this. They're all trying to help each other out, right? And then, yeah, occasionally, if something really bad happens, let's say, you know, God forbid, a really bad earthquake, you might see it pop up. It's, okay, that's like real news, right? But it's not like, oh, you know, um, somebody's running naked down Hollywood Street right now or, or something like that. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, you know, that's it for today's episode. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it. Check out Hokobo online. Follow him on Twitter. We'll drop everything in the show notes and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to take action and continue growing.